So we're talking about Second Thessalonians, and, and I'm sorry that I can't give you a, a really warm and happy Mother's Day message, but we're in a season of discipleship. And something that I wanted to bring to you is I wanted to bring to you this notion and this idea that within parenthood, within motherhood, we have this notion of securing, of protecting, of holding on. Now, Jesus said for us to call God Father with this in mind, because he wants us to be aware of the fact that from God's fatherhood, he reaches out to embrace us, to connect us and to love us. But above all else, to protect us. God is not a mean kid on a hill ready to watch and catch us out when we do the wrong thing. No. In fact, when we do the wrong thing, God grieves with us. His heart breaks for us. Because every time we do that, we are putting distance between ourselves and God. And that is what the narrator is alluding to here. He's alluding to the fact that for those people who totally reject God, who totally reject what Jesus is saying, what he is proclaiming, well, eventually they'll get what they want. And that's not what God wants. And for Paul, this was a huge tragedy. And this is why we as Christians for 2,000 years have been trying to demonstrate to the world the love of God. Because that is the greatest reward and the greatest thing that we can share with them. I alluded to this a few weeks ago. I've preached on this previously, but I'm going to just highlight this for you once again. I gave my sons a series of Avengers dolls. And of course, what do little boys do when you give them toys? They fight over them. (laughs) And so I gave to one of my sons the packet and I said to him, this is your doll. It is yours and it is for you to possess it. That meant that it was his and he could do what he wanted with it. If he wanted to play with it, great. If he wanted to put it in the fridge, fine. Mummy might not have been happy with that, but (laughs) still. But what I wanted as his father from my son was that he would share it with his brothers. Because it was a good thing and it was fun. And he could share that fun with his brothers and they could then have that fun together. But when his brothers were envious of it and tried to say, well, I'm playing with this Avenger and you're playing with that one. That's when I would say, no, no, no. These are your brothers. They are his and his possession. And this is what it's like with us and our salvation as well. God has given it to you, to us, because he loves us. And out of that love, we have it in us. And it is a wonderful and a blessed thing. Now, we can share it with others, but we can't give it away. In our sharing with others, we need to invite them in their daughterhood, in their sonship, to engage with the Father and receive their own gift. And sure enough, eventually, I bought a Spider-Man doll for one of the other boys and everything was fine. (laughs) But you see how this example of God's fatherhood so works for us. Now, in this passage from 2 Thessalonians We see the secret power of lawlessness. This is what he is talking about and alluding to. This notion that when the rules of God are broken, evil can come in and seep in with really weird ideas. We live in an age of fast information. This morning I wanted to wish my mother a happy Mother's Day. So I took literally 30 seconds to send her a text message. (laughs) 
And I reflected upon the fact that I couldn't have done that in previous ages, could I? I would have had to go and get in my buggy or in my horse and made my way to see my mom just to wish her a happy Mother's Day or have written a letter a few days beforehand, <laughs> depending on how Australia Post was running at the time, and, ex- and, and shared the sentiment in that way. All these things took time, did they not? But now they're instantaneous. So is the secret power of lawlessness. It is instantaneous. It can get into our homes, through our devices, through all of this media that is all around us. And there is one constant we need to go back to people of God. And that is God's scripture and God's love. And this is, this is the big thing that Paul is trying to get us to understand. Because we are disciples, yes? Yes. And as disciples of God, we need to know that his gospel is a gospel of love. It is a gospel where God is saying, I love all of my children and I want to bring them in and I want to embrace them. And in that love, we push away the secret power of lawlessness. That seeping, untruthful, hidden power that sometimes you can feel it when you're in a conversation with a loved one or a co-worker and sometimes you can sense when someone drops something about their worldview and their point of view now I'm not going to give you all the answers today I'm not going to get you to take out your notebooks and write down if someone says this this is what I need to do I'm going to tell you instead love with the love of God And if you love in that way, you don't need to convince anyone. You will merely be demonstrating the truth that they should already know. In uh, chapter 2, verses 7 to 8, Paul says, The secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. So this is one of the puzzles that our video alluded to. Who is the one who holds back the power of lawlessness? It's Jesus. It's God. And it is Jesus in His grace. Because I want you to understand something. The tide of evil was not held back because Jesus came along with a fiery sword, with armies of angels. It was held back because He gave His life on a cross to build a bridge for us to access the Father. Grace is the shield, the bastion that holds back the evil one. And this is one of the hardest things about being a Christian because it means that we don't get our righteous vengeance, do we? We don't get to be avengers. We get to be grace keepers. Grace is a power. That humanity still struggles to comprehend. But yet it is one of the great virtues that we uphold almost universally as a, as a human race. In Spanish, my native language, the very word for thank you is gracias. Grace. You have shown me a grace. You have blessed me and this is how I respond. So we know it is something that is there. 
But there will come a time when the lawless one will be revealed, will be allowed to do what he needs to do. We see it in the book of Revelation. We need to know that that is there. That is a reality. But I personally believe that while the people of God demonstrate the love of God, that cannot happen. Why? Because God will be showing grace through His people. This is where we, we have a responsibility. We have a job to do. Friends, do you think the disciples just sat around listening to Jesus and did nothing? No, of course not. They labored, they worked, they taught, they shared the gospel, they connected with people around them. In Luke 8, Luke 10, sorry, Jesus sends out 72 to go and preach the gospel and share the gospel. And what do they find? They find that demons themselves flee at the name of Jesus. And Jesus is like, so what? That, that's not as important. That's not as relevant as the fact that your names are written in the book of life. Because you know what that is? Say it with me, people. It starts with G. It ends with E. It is? <laughs> See, the kids have learned that in Sunday school, the answer is usually God or Jesus. So that's why. But the answer in this case is grace. See, it's a grace that allowed for those disciples to be embraced in. And what they were doing, what they were ex exercising was that grace at work. Are you with me, Church of Jesus Christ? When we show that grace, when we exercise that grace, we are tapping into a power. One that we may not fully comprehend, may not fully understand. But that is at work in our lives. And that can easily be shared and at work in others. Then the lawless one will be revealed, continues the apostle. Whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The vengeance is not mine. The retribution is not ours. It is Jesus's. Because Jesus is the one who went on the cross. Because Jesus is the one who poured his blood, who bore the lashes, who took up the thorns. And the nails, the justification, the justice is His, not ours. Because I want to tell you another secret. And it's a well-known secret, but it's one that we need to be reminded of. We put Him there. In John's great metaphor for salvation, Christ is there. He is the victim. God is in the judge's podium looking out over us, over you and me. We are the convicted. We are the ones who crucified him. We are the ones who put him there. But then you know who our advocate is? Who is pleading our case in that situation? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ himself advocating for us, for you and for me who put him there. And then righteousness is poured out. And if you know your Bible, you know that the word righteousness actually comes from a legal term. And that legal term means acquittal. That is what? Jesus. <laughs> that is grace. 
that the sinner is forgiven, that the sinner is redeemed. That is grace through Jesus. Vengeance is his, not ours. God is just, says Paul back in chapter 1. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire and with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Are Christians included in this? Absolutely. I shared with you last week from this uh, Indian civil rights worker who when confronted with the gospel looked and learned and accepted that Jesus had a wonderful message for him. But when he had to leave his Hindu faith and, and find another religion purely because... The Indian system at the time required that everybody has a religion and he could no longer remain in his Hindu religion because the caste system had been um, oppressing him and his people. He decided to go towards Buddhism. He decided to join Buddhism. And when his Christian friends asked him, why? Why did you do that? He said, because I can accept your Christ, but not your Christians. You see, friends, one of the big problems we have had in the Christian church for these 2,000 years is that we have forgotten how to exercise grace. We have said to people, we are sinners. Sometimes, dare I say, you are sinners. And out of that space, we have forgotten that God's grace is for us as well. Friends, this is so important for us to understand because I don't know about you, but I do not want to be on the other side of God's retribution. I don't want to be on the other side of God's vengeance. I want to be on this side. I want to be saying, standing alongside God and saying to God, I did everything I could. And yes, I am a sinner, but your grace is enough. And it is. It is powerful. In Matthew 24, Jesus prophesies of the end of days. He says, then, appear, then, there, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to another. Friends, to the Jewish ear, this passage is paradoxical. Because he says, then all the nations of the earth will mourn. That is a term for sinners. That is a term for people who are not of the side of Abraham, who are on the other side. And whom the Old Testament had always been interpreted to say, those will be punished. Those will face God's retribution. Not a very good story for us, is it? But Jesus qualifies this statement because he then says the elect from the four winds will be gathered because this earth is God's and we are all his children. And in this, he is scooping up his own, his family so that they would come and be before him, so that they would be protected in him. 
This is part of God's fatherhood. Friends, beyond stories of action figures and apocalyptic visions, I want you to capture that today. God's fatherhood is not that of an unjust God sitting on a cloud far away looking judgingly at us. But instead, it's one who looks at what we've done wrong and says, Why? Why do you keep pushing me away? I love you. I want to come closer to you. That he would be willing to break his own rules. That the children of Noah that walked away from him, Jesus would now say that he would stretch out his hand and scoop them up in his awesome love. And do you know what we call it when God breaks his own rules? That's a miracle. God sets up rules in this world, in this universe that say one plus one equals two. A is followed by B, followed by C. Sickness leads to death. Even physics would tell you that the world, the universe itself is right now in the throes of entropy and decay. And they can see it at a molecular level. Yet Jesus healed the sick. He broke that rule. Yet Jesus commanded the waves and the winds to be still. He broke that rule. Yet Jesus gave his life so that sinners would be called children of God. He broke that rule. And this we call a miracle. Not so long ago, sitting in a church like this in certain parts of the world would be breaking the rules. And I know for some of us sitting here today, we're breaking the rules of our family, of our culture, of our friends. That's okay. We are blessed with freedom in this country. We are blessed with the freedom to come and worship and to connect with this community. But we need to know that that which we are doing is a miracle. A miracle by God's awesome and loving grace. In Romans 14, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the Roman community, people were breaking the rules. They were eating the food that was being offered to idols. And everybody was really uncomfortable and weirded out about it. But he said it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Because in that moment they were sitting alongside their friends, their neighbors, their colleagues. And that food had no power over them. And instead the power that was at work there was what? No, sorry. You didn't say it loud enough. Ready? One, two, three. It was? It was the grace that allowed them to share that love, to share that space. It was the grace that said that that food had no power over them. And that they could go there knowing that God had called them to be in that space. And to be, as he says, pleasing to God. And in God's righteousness, God's goodness, working itself out to human approval. The apostle encourages the Roman church, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. The building up of one another so that they may know this grace. 
In our Thessalonians Bible study, you will find that I talk a lot about the ways in which the Thessalonian church was breaking the rules of the time. They were having illegal associations. They were connecting and sharing the gospel. And the people around them, the authorities, were not happy about this. And so they would come and they would bang on the door and try to find out what was going on. But it's important for us to understand that they were doing this because they were in a very different context to us. Our persecution is not the police coming knocking on the door. But it is the mutterings of our co-workers when they're here that were Christians. It is the sideway glances of people in wider society. Quietly and silently judging us for our faith. In these spaces, I'm not encouraging you to take up violence or to get involved and get in their face and confrontational. Instead, I am asking you to do as Christ did because you know when Christ was confronted with this, He loved them. And out of that love, the great miracle of God's grace took place. I want to finish with John the Baptist's words in the Gospel of John the Evangelist. And I've chosen the message version of this because I really like the way how he put it. He says that, John says, I made it public that it was not the Messiah, that I was not the Messiah, but simply the one sent ahead of him to get things ready. The one who gets the bride is by definition the bridegroom. And the bridegroom's friend, his best man, that's me. In place at his side where he can hear every word. He's genuinely happy. How can he be jealous when he knows that the wedding is finished and the marriage is off to a good start? Lynn, can I invite you to play for us? When I read these words, I was convicted in my heart. Because I've been trying to find a way of, of bringing all of this together. You know, we've talked about Avengers and Apocalypse and, and all of these amazing things. But what can you do about it? You can remember that you're Jesus' best man. His best friend. That's why he gave his life for you. And part of your job, part of our job as disciples today, is to help get this bride ready. The bride that is the church of Jesus Christ. She's not ready yet. She's running around. Her makeup is not quite done. Her dress is still on the hanger. Our job is to try and get this church ready. So that when Jesus comes, he receives her. As the best, best offering he could receive. There's a lot of work to do, dear friends. But that's okay. As we read earlier, the signs will be obvious and evident. And we will see them coming from a long way off. I want to finish by telling you this. Captain America, one of the well-known Avengers. He wears a flag as a costume. I think that's a bit ridiculous. But I love the fact that his weapon is a shield. Because a shield is not meant to be used offensively, is it? It's meant to be used defensively, to protect. God's grace is a shield for us. To absorb the fiery darts of the enemy. To guard us and protect us. But also to remind us of God's love. I want to conclude with that. And invite you to bow your heads with me as we finish our time together. 
Father, continue to bless us with an understanding of your love and how we can share that out in the community. Lord, that we need not fear, but know that we are tapping into the reality of your grace as it was poured out for us at the cross. And that we need to continue to look to you with hope and expectation, knowing, Lord, that we work and we labor to see your will being done and fulfilled in our lives today. So bless us by your grace and mercy, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.